Welcome to Sit Down with RHS, an exciting new podcast from the Royal Hospital School where we bring to life the unique impact the school makes to young people's lives. In this series, we're chatting to members of the alumni to hear how RHS set them up for success, not just academically, but how it's given them the life skills, confidence and resilience to thrive and follow their ambitions. We'll be hearing from professional sports people and fashion designers, to environmentalists and software engineers. Today, we're sitting down with three times world champion and four times Paralympian, Hannah Stodor. Get ready for a truly inspirational chat with one of the UK's finest athletes. We're going to hear how RHS supported her while she competed at school, even sitting down for an exam on a ferry, about her ambition to make history in the 2024 Vendée Globe race like Ella MacArthur did, and how she still makes her bed within an inch of its life. Old habits die hard. This is a fantastic interview, so please grab a cup of tea and enjoy. Over to your host, Arabella Naldi, speaking to Hannah Stodel. Well, welcome. I am joined this morning by Hannah Stodel. So Hannah, just, um, I mean, I'm really excited to ask you questions and find out. At the moment, you're on terra firma, I think. I definitely am, yeah. You're not on a boat? No, no, no. Not today. Not today. Um, and so just to tell us, tell everyone who's listening, what has been your latest sailing adventure and what are you gearing up to do next? Uh, well, I guess for the the last sort of couple of months, we've sort of slowly been allowed back out on the water with obviously the pandemic situation. So I've just been racing locally here in the in Solent and kind of all adding up towards my bigger ambition of uh, competing in the Vendée Globe. Yes. Now, so is that starting in 2024? Or when is that? When does that actually start? Uh, so the race is 2024, uh, the Vendée Globe. That's the, I was aiming for 2020. I obviously wasn't successful in making that start line, but now uh, aim for the next one, which is 2024. So tell me, this has obviously been a lifelong ambition and a dream. And, you know, even if you're not into sailing for many people, they've heard of the name. But it would be lovely to hear a little bit about why the ambition? What does it involve? Why is it such an incredible race to be part of? Sorry, there's about 15 questions in there. I might have to come back and ask you more. It's <laughs> all good. Um, I guess for me, like the obsession with it really started uh, around the time that I met Ellen MacArthur. So I met her back in 98, it would have been. Uh, she won Yachtsman of the Year at the same time as I won Young Sailor of the Year. And I ended up meeting her being totally inspired, overwhelmed and just almost in love with her as a person and a character because of how she handled herself and how she took on challenges. And she'd done the Vendée Globe and was, um, was building Kingfisher and it was epic. Her story is just epic. And her love of sailing is like no one else I've ever met. And I was lucky enough to go and race with her uh, for around the island race on board her trimaran. And I just remember her and I on the trampoline of the trimaran with just bouncing up and down and enjoying the day. And she she has such a genuine love of the sport. And I just thought that's freedom and that's magic. And I want that myself. So that that put the idea in my head of the fun day. How old were you at this age, Hannah? So I was 13 when I first sailed with her. This, so meet, it's incredible, isn't it? When you meet your heroes and they stand up and they imbue you with that sort of passion. Anyway, so Karen, so, so there was, you were on this trimaran meeting Ellen MacArthur, okay, and they're sowing the seeds. And had you sailed much before? 
I mean, I'd gone through like the dinghy circuit. I'd been part of the RAA youth and junior squad system and I'd had success in dinghy sailing. And I, I was good at it and I knew I was good at it. And I remember doing TV interviews where I was like, I want to go to the Olympics. <laughs> so I had, I had a load of ambition. I knew there were some things I wanted to achieve with my sailing, definitely. Um, and I and I sort of I read as well that both your parents and your mother particularly as well, both successful, um, you know, had sailors. Now, was that a hindrance or was that a help, do you think? Both. I think, you know, having strong parents is <laughs> can be uh, overwhelming at times. You know, my mother's definitely pushed me hard in my career. And, you know, she's had the momager role for, <laughs> for some of my career. And it's been stressful for her as well. And I think my dad's a bit more step back and down to earth with racing, but he's still like on it and would be like questioning every decision. <laughs> but I think, yeah, it, it's ups and downs, like like any relationship. <laughs> so yeah I'm I'm ultimately grateful for how hard they've pushed me because I think they've crafted me into the sort of fiercely determined annoyingly stubborn human being that I have become now and that's an interesting question actually about stubborn but what do you need do you think to be I mean you have you know competed you have sailed uh, in some incredibly high level particularly um we'll talk a little bit as well about the Paralympic Games what does it take to be successful in a boat competing against men and women from around the world what qualities do you need going through the British squad system is sort of it's very structured, it's very organised, and they have sort of almost like a winning formula for what it takes to get those medals. And I think when you fit the criteria, you know, once you find the boat that's right for you, once you find the team that's right for you, or, you know, if you end up a solo sailor, there's a pathway already there for you. So I think I almost took that for granted when it came to how I needed to act, because I fit the profile of a professional sailor as far as the British sailing team was concerned. It was only once I left the British sailing team, and that was kind of that structure was taken away that I kind of learned really about myself and what I needed in order to keep going as a professional athlete and run my own campaign and run my own show as it were and I think I've learned so much about self-belief which I guess I didn't believe in myself during the Paralympics which was weird because I was winning medals and it was all wonderful and marvelous but actually I didn't really have that grit to keep going I think and I've learned that now that I, it was there. I just needed to train it and I needed to understand myself a bit more. Resilience, um, especially now with the campaign as it is, you know, I've been through so many ups and downs since leaving the British sailing team. It would have been very easy to have been knocked back and to go, do you know what? This is too hard and I can't, I just can't keep going. But actually, even with every punch in the gut, even with every knockdown, every setback, I still have that dream in mind. And I think that that resilience is so, so important as an athlete to just be able to go, do you know what? I believe in my dream. I believe in my ambition. I'm strong enough to do this. I'm just going to keep going. That I think those are probably the, the biggest things. Yeah, I mean, gosh, it's amazing how you articulate it. And actually, it's made me suddenly think there's two different types of resilience there, isn't there? Because, you know, on a boat, in a storm, you are determined you have got grit you've got resilience in bucket loads but also it's the it's the outside it's the other things that you're pushing through well I mean Hannah I want to see go want to go back because I know that you went to RHS and uh, you know a famous naval school and I I don't know whether there's any connection there between the water and what what you learned at your time there how did you find your time at school has it prepared you you mentioned things like resilience independence which I know are really things that are really important to RHS so what was it like your time there 
when I I look back at my time at IHS, I just think, how did I get so lucky to land at a school like that? I remember being horrified at the idea of being a full-time boarder and not seeing my family for, you know, the whole term, spending even your half term at school and going to lessons on a Saturday, like all of the bonkers things that RHS is. I actually think, wow, I, <laughs> I wouldn't have got anywhere without the things that RHS taught me. I remember making my bed to within an inch of its life. And I still do that every day. Even now, I make my bed to within an inch of its life. My housemate is forever taking the mick out of me. He's like, I don't understand why you bother. I'm like, because it's so ingrained in me to do it. And actually, I feel like I've achieved something because I've done my first job of the day, which is to make my bed exactly as I would have done at RHS. And I think the friendships I have from RHS, like two of my best friends from RHS, I'm still really, really good friends with now. And they're two of my biggest cheerleaders. And, you know, Rachel, especially she was on the sailing team and I was on the sailing team. And, you know, we've got that lifelong friendship because of RHS. And I think that's so important as a human being to learn those skills and to learn who your circle are and who's genuinely got your back and I think that it did give that to me and I'm so grateful for it and the sailing as well obviously you know there's a lot of perks when you go to school and you can do sailing as your sport I mean who who doesn't want to do that yeah tell me a little bit about that so what are the what were the opportunities that you were able to pursue during your time at RHS I mean, I was really lucky because when I joined RHS, uh, Mike Hart was the sailing master and he obviously come from this racing background, really strong sailor in his own right. So he basically just overhauled sailing. So we ended up with 29ers, laser 3000. He would drag us off every weekend to go to open meetings. We would be racing, training and it was an absolute godsend as far as I was concerned because I could still race. I could go to national championships. I could go to world championships. You know, he even came with me um, to Florida for a world championship because he wanted to coach me through it. And I think that direction and that that drive, just being there and having that opportunity is just incredible to have, you know. And even things like going on adventures with the Cornish Shrimpers. I mean, we used to we used to take the mick out of them as well. <laughs> it used to be a source of comedy. But what kind of school has a Cornish Shrimper per sailing, like per house that you can just go on an adventure in? Like it's bonkers, but it's at the same time completely magical. (laughs) You've got that and you can do that. Yeah. And that that freedom and that, yeah, that and I suppose actually independence. So where did your independence start? I think I've always been pretty, pretty brutally independent anyway, like. My parents shoved me in a boat from a very early age and it was kind of the best way to learn independence. And I think with the school as well, you're taught how to be independent, how to look after yourself and you have that structure. And I think it was very sort of ingrained in you to do that. And Yeah, I think there's a lot of life lessons I learned at RHS that are still sort of really applicable today. Yeah, actually, well, making your bed, I mean, even drills like that, because, you know, do you see how that has trained you for, I don't know, becoming a high level, you know, yachtswoman? Yeah, definitely, because it's all in the details at the end of the day. And those those small little things that used to be annoying, you know, like polishing the toe of your shoe, like... (laughs) There's not many schools that make you polish your shoes within an inch of their life so you can see your face in them kind of thing. But those small details become so important with offshore sailing. You know, you miss one thing on a daily check and then it fails and then something breaks and then you get into more problems. And that attention to detail is is so, so important. 
Yeah, gosh. And yeah, all of this. Well, let, let's go back. So we here we are, your 13-year-old self, you know, sailing around um, the Isle of Wight. I mean, goodness me. And then and then what happened next? So let, let's go through because I obviously want to hear more. And obviously, we haven't had even a talk about as well the fact that you did compete at the Paralympic Games and why you competed. So there's a lot to be unpacked. So let's go back to your 13-year-old. So here you are, Ellen MacArthur. Right, I want to go for it. Well, I joined the the U squad was my next step, I guess. So at RHS, we had the 29ers and I started sailing the 29er and I started competing at national level and ultimately international level. I was on the RYA U squad. I was, you know, traveling all around the world, racing. I was winning world championships. I was doing well. I was living the dream as far as I was concerned. You know, I was on my pathway that I had set myself to get to the Olympic Games. Just for those listening, what is a 29er? <laughs> uh, so the 29er is uh, the baby sister of the 49er which is actually an Olympic class boat so you may even see that racing currently in Tokyo uh, there's two there's the 49er men's and the 49er women's 29 is basically the baby sister and the feeder boat for both of those uh, boats in the Olympics so it's sailed by two people exactly the same as the 49er in the Olympics um, only difference is only one of you trapezes so only one of you hangs out on a wire outside the boat but yeah it's a great feeder pathway boat as far as the Olympic Games is concerned. Oh, wow. So so there you were on target to compete at the Olympic Games. Okay. And then what, what happened? You know, so obviously going through, we're talking about resilience. You've got things mapped out. You've got your pathway. Um, and also, what was feeding that? I guess I was driven by results. So once you start winning things and you get sponsorship, then you get pushed harder. I guess as a very driven person, you know where you want to go. And I had that ambition and I knew that my end goal was the Olympics. So it was kind of just everything I do has to be getting me one step closer to the Olympics. And I guess that even if that meant missing chunks of school, which is what I was doing in the end, or racing at weekends and then going back to school on a Sunday night, absolutely knackered, but with a medal in my pocket kind of thing. That's what it took. And I was willing to do that to get where I wanted to be. That is tough, isn't it? Because... You've got the crunch. How did the school re- respond to that? How did they support you? Or how, what did that look like? It was, in many respects, overwhelming how well supported I was by RHS because I was missing large chunks of time and I was missing exams at some points because that's just where regattas were. I remember having to sit an exam on a ferry with my coach as an invigilator. I mean, it was crazy. They pulled out basically every stop to make it possible for me to continue racing at the level I was racing and to continue my studies as well and to actually get through school with some A-levels and DCSEs and and to get to where I wanted to be. So, yeah, the the support was definitely there. And even as far as, you know, providing Mike Hart as a coach for me and, you know, allowing me to structure everything so that I could fit not only my schoolwork but my sailing together and and function as a human being as well wow gosh they really were helping you pursue your dreams so we hit the age of 15 and then you had this encounter with Andy Castle which you I mean you describe as a big change what was that what was that kind of juncture in your life what happened so Andy Castle is pretty much the godfather of Paralympic sailing like we we've nicknamed him that because he started it all in in the UK as far as we were concerned he won the first gold medal for Paralympic sailing in Atlanta he you know he's this huge character he's a complete comedic genius he's 
total legend. But I remember when I was first approached to go and train with Andy. So Andy was warming up for the Sydney Olympics. So it's just before 2000. And he needed a boat to train against. So they said, well, we, we know this girl. <laughs> She's disabled. She's also a good sailor. So why don't we bring her in kind of thing? And I remember my mum sort of laying this out for me, like, you've got to go and train with this guy and we'll see you know, whether this is the right fit for you, do you want to, you know, you could do disabled sailing kind of thing. And me being like, absolutely not. Like, (laughs) just no, on so many levels. Like, my 15 year old self was so unwilling to negotiate. I mean, the temper tantrums, honestly, you probably could have heard them the opposite end of the country. I just was not interested in disability sport or Paralympic sport in in any shape or form because I had a a very solid belief that I could compete on the same level as the able-bodied guys and that I didn't want to lower myself to the level of disabled sailing you know I saw it as this weaker option you know sort of tartan blankets and slippers and bless their heart kind of situation without really taking a minute to appreciate what Paralympic sailing actually was. And and I, and I think that's an interesting one, isn't it, Hannah? Because there's you as your 15-year-old and obviously now I know, I know you've got a very different um, reflection as you look back on that. But also as a teenager at school, you know, you're fitting in. You're like, yes, you're missing part of your arm, but actually you want to be the same as everyone else. So how did yeah, how did you begin to change that view of, of yourself as like as, as a woman who's who is disabled in, you know, certain terminology, but actually very able? What was the sort of transition? How did that you move through that phase? I think it was sort of almost being forced to completely reevaluate. I think my dad actually ended up coming with me for the first weekend of training with Andy and I ended up sailing with my dad and one other. And I think what struck me the most was the attitude of Andy towards disability himself. You know, he he's very much like, well, I'm missing both my legs, but I don't care. I can go sailing kind of thing and he he kind of embodied everything that I was thinking as a 15 year old which was I just want to go sailing and I want to race and he was he kind of showed me that actually he was doing exactly the same thing which was going racing and it didn't matter that he doesn't have any legs it, it, it kind of he he was ignoring his disability and going sailing and that was what was important to him and he has been and still does today racing with able-bodied guys just to prove that he can do it as well. And so I think for me, he kind of really changed my viewpoint. It wasn't like weaker by any means. It was exactly the same. And I think his whole attitude really sort of realigned my thinking because that's how I wanted to be. I wanted to emulate Andy's attitude. It was like, it's not weaker. I'm just going sailing and it doesn't matter. It's the same racing. And I think, yeah, that was sort of the the moment, the pivot where I thought, you know what, I've got it wrong. I've got it completely wrong. My interpretation, my feelings towards disability sport are completely wrong yeah god wow that is a powerful moment isn't it and something that you've encountered long old career okay so let's go back so we started off talking about the Vendee Global and this ambition that has been building up that has you know the dreams that you've been pursuing the time (laughs) RHS developing so why the Vendee Global and what is it that you need to compete what what is going what is going through you at the moment So I think for me, like there were sort of a couple of pivotal moments. Like I guess meeting Ellen is obviously that's where the idea started. And I kind of it's been sort of in the back of my mind for quite a while. And I have snuck in some offshore sailing in amongst my Paralympic career. 
then I guess really the sort of the point at which we sort of fired the ignition was kind of around when sailing was binned off from the Paralympics. So in 2015, we got the news that uh, sailing wasn't going to be considered for the Paralympic Games. And uh, that was it. So after Rio, no more sailing in the Paralympic Games. So that for me at the time was completely unacceptable. You know, I was on the executive committee as a sailor's representative and I was trying to get our voices heard. And yes, so that for me was like a huge, a huge kick and something I want and I still fight to get overturned so that for me was like a wow okay moment one of the reasons we're not in the Paralympic Games is because sailing is not an inclusive sport uh, so I thought well what's a better way of proving inclusivity than a disabled person going out and racing in an able-bodied class and proving it's possible so that kind of for me was like hmm, wow if I do the Vonde, then surely they can see that it's an inclusive sport so yeah yeah once sailing got dropped from the the Paralympics that was kind of like a a big moment for me it was frustrating it was heartbreaking you know sailing has been my my life and my career for 16 years and to then have that taken away not so much for myself this is gonna sound a bit bonkers but it wasn't so much for myself because I I had no intention of going for another game what annoyed me the most I think was the people coming up behind me on the squad that we're never going to have the chance to race at a Paralympic Games and to have that that privilege and that honour to put on that tracksuit with a big lion on the back of it and to go, I'm racing for Great Britain. So I think that that kind of broke my heart. And so it left me with this drive to sort of say, well, no, we are an inclusive sport and I'm going to go and do the Vendee uh, to, <laughs> to prove that. So that was one of the reasons, I guess. And then the other reason... I've mentioned I'm stubborn. I am ridiculously stubborn. And I think a lot of my career, I've been told I can't do things. And people are very quick to judge on appearance alone. You know, I'm missing my arm at the end of the day. And so people have been very quick throughout my whole career to sort of look and go, well, that's not possible without sort of even asking me if it's possible or taking the time to see if it is possible. So I think, you know, I fought against that in my sailing career like early on being told that sailing wasn't my sport and all the rest of it so yeah there has been a lot of well is the Vendee possible for you and it was exactly the same questions that Ellen got asked when she went to do the Vendee they said she was too small to do the Vendee but do you know what she went and did it anyway she finished second which is still you know the best result for a female sailor in, in the Vendee and actually had she not had the breakages she had at the end she would have won and She's a total legend. And actually, she she just went, you know what, I'm going to do it. (laughs) And off she went. And I kind of had the same attitude. You know, you tell me I can't. Well, I say I can. So I'm going to (laughs) go. I love it. Yeah. As as, as that great advert, this girl can. Yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. And well, just before we finish off, because I've loved talking to you um, and finding out. So if you were standing in front of, I don't know, a group of year sevens or year nines back at RHS, what advice would you give to them? What would you say to them? Well, there's a few things. I live by my uncle's motto, which is never give up. I guess the second would be if you think something's possible and you believe it's possible, then don't let anybody tell you otherwise and do it. And the third thing, and I think that's probably most applicable to RHS, is surround yourself with people that get you and people that support you and people that have their hands on your back and will always have their hands on your back. And you'll find that at RHS, definitely, because that's the kind of place it is. And find that find that circle because they will stay with you. And uh, I'm 
I'm proof of that. And I'm very lucky that my circle has stayed with me from RHS to now, you know, <laughs> a good few years later and they're still here. And, you know, I'll be forever grateful for, for those people and for that support. Oh, well, it's so nice to leave it on that, just that sense, because I know that RHS is passionate about community and so great to hear that for you, that is something that you hold still and you've got those great friends. Hannah, well, we are rooting for you. We're looking forward to seeing your name and the lineup for the 2024 Fonde Global Race and um, what's going to happen next as well and all the sailing. Um, so wishing you all the best and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. And that was Hannah Stodor, alumni at RHS and sailor extraordinaire. Such a great interview. Really fabulous. Thank you, Hannah, for speaking with us today. Please make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you never miss another interview with some of RHS's finest alumni. Thanks for being with us. We look forward to welcoming you back next time.